What's going on, Renaissance? Y'all doing all right? All right, so in 1968, the Summer Olympic Games uh, in Mexico, uh, there was everybody packed in the stadium for what was the last event, the men's marathon. Now, some of the most uh, elite runners in the world all competing for one goal. And into the stadium was the first place runner, and a man from Ethiopia, and the crowd went nuts and cheered. Uh, first place came in the stadium, second place came in the stadium, third place, and men after him uh, all came in. But about eight miles behind the first place runner was a man named John Stephen Aquari. Now, John Stephen Aquari, at about mile 18, uh, his head was throbbing and his knee gave out and he fell and collapsed on the ground. And instead of uh, laying on the ground and feeling sorry for himself, he had a decision to make. That even though his head was throbbing and even though his knee was banged up, uh, would he finish the rest of the eight miles? So John Stephen Aquari picked himself up bandaged his knee and limped his way another 8.2 miles. And there's footage on YouTube of John Stephen Aquari running in, limping in to the Olympic Stadium with only a couple hundred people even left. The people who had won the race had long since come, uh, gone. They were back at the hotels taking showers, eating Pop-Tarts. But John Stephen Aquari, he, he makes it into the stadium finally. And when he gets in, there's barely enough people there to even clap for him as he crosses the finish line, as he shuffled his way to the finish line. But then a reporter came to him and said, listen, I, you got to level with me, man. Like, everybody wanted you to stop running. Like, it was painful just watching you continue to try running. Now, nobody would have been mad at you if you stopped running. And the reporter asked him, hey, what was your motivation to keep going? And what he said gives me chills just thinking about it. He said, my country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me to finish it. Right? My country didn't send me to start the race. They sent me to finish it. Now, here's what it's clear. It's clear that he wasn't running for himself, but for something bigger. He wasn't running just for himself, for what made him feel good. Because if that was his litmus test, if that was his guide, he would have stopped running a long time ago. He was sent by something bigger than him his country, and even when he had excuses and reasons to stop running, he kept going to finish the race because it wasn't about him. He was a man on a mission. He was running with a vision to do something, to accomplish something bigger than him, and he did. Now, thousands of people have com competed in the Olympics, but few have left uh, an encouraging story as one as powerful as that one. Now, I don't know if you guys knew this about me, but I'm actually uh, a pretty serious runner, right? I might not have the frame for it that you think, right? But I know firsthand what it feels like to have to press through an amazing amount of pain just to finish a race. My wife and I, we did a half marathon a couple of years ago, and I think we have a picture of, of me running the race. Right, if you can't make out my face, I was in, I was in a world of pain. And the worst part about it is like, she looks like she's like going to the corner store, right? She looks like she's running to the bodega and I look like I'm about to die. And I think I actually was about to die, so. Right, so I know firsthand what it feels like to be in an incre incredible amount of pain. Mine was painful because I wasn't in shape. Uh, he, John Stephen Aquari, was an Olympic runner. But hey, check this out. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about another runner, uh, another running man, not the dance, but the prophet, a man named Jonah. And Jonah was the opposite of John Stephen Aquari. 
See, John Stephen Aquari was running for something bigger than himself, a man on a mission with a vision to accomplish something for something bigger than him, but Jonah was the opposite. Jonah was a man all about Jonah. Jonah was running for himself. In the first chapter, we see, uh, let me catch you guys up for those of you who weren't uh, here for the first parts of our series. Uh, chapter one, you see God come to Jonah and say, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it. Jonah says, I hear what you're saying. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. And a lot of us, uh, we mentioned in week one, we know the feeling of knowing a, a right thing to do, that we should say sorry to this person, we should have never engaged in these things, or we shouldn't go in this direction, and we know what it feels like firsthand to run in the opposite direction and to do our own thing. And then in the second chapter, we see that God sent a storm into Jonah's life, that it wasn't just pure happenstance. It wasn't a coincidence. God himself sent a storm into Jonah's life, as we see, not to pay him back for anything that he had done, but to bring him back. And that sometimes God sends discipline into our lives, not to pay you back for what you have done, because uh, we believe that everything, all penalty, uh, all penalty and punishment has been laid on Jesus Christ. This is not punishment. Uh, this is to bring us back to right standing with God. And last week, uh, Aswan talked about it. He, he highlighted a pretty key scripture in Jonah 3 and 1, where it says that, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time to go back to Nineveh. And we, we, we noted that even in our culture of one and dones, where one mistake puts you on the wrong side and uh, everybody will throw you away and toss you to the side, God doesn't work like that. God doesn't throw people away. And we saw last week that God uses the unusable and he forgives the unforgivable. And we pick up here in Jonah 4, and you would have thought that after all of this, we'd be coming to the conclusion of a man that had seen the grace of God for himself and would ride off into the sunset, that he would be a man that would be so impacted by what God had done in his life, giving him a second chance, that he would be so impacted by seeing God uh, forgive a, a, a wicked city that the entire city turned to him. But instead, we see the opposite. We see a man that's in incredibly self-centered. We see a man that is all focused on the kingdom of self, the kingdom of Jonah, Jonah's own way of doing things. Now, my agenda for today, I have a very clear agenda. I have a very strong ulterior motive. My, my, my vision, my prayer, my, my hope is that you and I would be people that are not living for ourselves, that you would be the type of person that would be living for this city, that when God called Jonah to the city of Nineveh, uh, that in the same way that God has called us to Harlem, not to be about ourselves, but to live for something bigger than us, to be a part of a kingdom that's not all about us and our comfort and our fame and our motivations, but to be a part of something that's bigger than us. So just like John Stephen Aquari, when the times get difficult, and they will get difficult, when we have a decision between our comfort and the mission of God to see things uh, renewed here in Harlem, we would choose God's kingdom. That we wouldn't be so focused on the things that uh, seem right to us or the things that would make us feel good, but we would be just radically selfless and we wouldn't be so focused on ourselves. Now, uh, we need the resolve of people that are living for God's mission, something that's bigger than us uh, and better than us. And here's what John Stephen Aquari's story teaches us, that what you're running for will determine how you run your race. What motivates you determines your actions. What motivates you is going to determine your actions and the type of people that we're going to be, if we're going to be living on a mission or if we're going to be living for ourselves, is going to determine, be determined by what's our motivation. Hey, are we trying to live for the kingdom of self or are we trying to live for the kingdom of God? 
Now, if I were to ask you, what are you living for? What are you running for? Is it fame? Is it comfort? Is it money? Or is it something bigger than you? Is it something that pushes you forward when it's easier to go in the opposite direction? Is it something that, that draws you to, to the heart of God, to do God's mission, even when it's much easier to do the opposite? Now, all of us have a race to run. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says like this, uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, all of us have something that we're hoping for. All of us have something that we're, we're looking forward to. All of us have uh, plans, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with having plans, right? You guys planned to come to church today. Five of you planned to come on time, and <laughs> right? There's nothing wrong with having plans. Plans are, are, are very good. The problem comes when, when our plans don't include the Lord. The problems are when, when our plans are all about what advances us. The problems are when, a, when the plans that we have in our, in our hearts and our minds are so geared toward the kingdom of self that it only concerns you. And this is what we see here uh, in Jonah 4. So right away, we see uh, Jonah being angry at, at what was going on. And it reminds me of a story of uh, the 1994 playoffs in the NBA, right? It was the Bulls versus the Knicks. And 94 was like the last year the Knicks were good, which is, which is really terribly sad, right? So 1994, let me catch you up for the non-sports fans in the room. Uh, the Bulls, uh, this, this year, they didn't have Michael Jordan. This was a year his father had died, and Michael Jordan says, I'm going to play baseball. He went to AAA and never made it to the big leagues. He played like one game. He batted like a, you know, like 125. He wasn't that good. Uh, but the team was left to Scottie Pippen, right? So Scottie Pippen is the world's most famous, uh, you know, uh, Robin to Batman. He's the most famous sidekick in basketball history. It's pretty difficult to not uh, be a sidekick when you're on the same team as Michael Jordan. But Michael Jordan was gone, and this was Scottie's team. And Scottie was excited to be the man on the team. And they're playing against the Knicks, and they're in game three of the 94 playoffs. And Scottie's jump shot is not working that day. So there's a couple seconds left in the game. Phil Jackson takes out the clipboard for the final play of the game. He says, all right, Tony Kukoc is going to get the last shot. Scottie Pippen overhears what's, ha what's happening, gets frustrated, goes to the end of the bench, and sits down and refuses to go in the game. The Bulls inbound the ball, give it to Tony Kukoc. He hits the shot, sticking another dagger at Knicks fans' hearts everywhere. And Scottie Pippen sat there. See, even though he was wearing a Bulls jersey, he was playing for himself. Even though across his chest it said bulls, deep down inside his motivations were himself. He wasn't worried about the bulls. He wasn't worried about his teammates. He was worried about himself. And here's what we see in, in Jonah 4 right away. Um, a couple of symptoms of what it looks like to live for yourself. Right? Uh, what we'll see right here in Jonah 4 some symptoms of what it looks like to be living for yourself. And the first symptom is this, that we get angry when things don't go our way. One of the symptoms of, of living a life for yourself, for your kingdom, is that you get really angry when things don't go your way. So we'll pick up here in the scripture. It says, but, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, 
is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? First of all, John is a drama queen, right? Like, seriously, dude, it's better for you to die. Seriously, bro? Jonah's plans for himself and God's plans for Jonah didn't line up. There's a couple reasons that Jonah might have been mad. One, he might have been angry because he felt like a fool. Here he is. He goes to Nineveh, and he's like, yo, in, in 40 days, this whole city is going down, right? And he walks away. He just drops a mic and walks away like, that's what I said, 40 days, right? <laughs> the entire city of Nineveh turns and repents, and God resists from sending calamity, and everybody is all good. So Jonah's like, yo, I told them that 40 days from now, the, the entire city is going to come down, and you didn't do it. So now I look like an idiot. You sent me out here, and I knew you were compassionate. I knew you were gracious. I knew you would do some move like this. That's the reason I didn't want to go in the first place. And Jonah felt like a fool. Or maybe he was upset uh, because he was self-righteous, and he was thinking, like, yo, these Ninevites, they don't deserve, they don't deserve grace. Right? But what do we say was the theme of Jonah, the book? Right? That God's grace and his mercy are for everyone. For rebels like the Ninevites and for runaways like Jonah. God's grace and his mercy is available for everyone. And maybe Jonah didn't like that. Or maybe Jonah was, was upset because he was starting to get defensive. He started to realize that his uh, cards are being shown on the table. And Jonah realized that, listen, God is kind of showing my heart. And you know what? I don't like what I'm seeing right now. But the bottom line, Jonah got angry. And listen, how do you respond when things don't go your way? And I'm not saying you should be happy when things don't go your way. I'm, I'm not saying that. How do you respond when all of your friends who aren't even doing things the right way in your eyes, hey, they're getting married left and right and you're still single, right? There's no bay in your life. How do you respond when, when other people are getting good things around you, apartments or, or relationships or jobs, and you're trying to do the right thing and things don't go your way? How do you respond when, when the situations don't go your way? Listen, if we're li a great symptom, if we're living for the kingdom of self, is that we'll throw a tantrum just like, jo like uh, Jonah. Now, I I'm not saying you should be happy when, when things don't go your way. We should absolutely pray that God would uh, give us good things, because I believe the heart of a father uh, of God is to give us good things that we would all enjoy. If you're praying for God to send good things in your life, keep praying, and I'll be praying with you that God sends all of these things to you. But listen... In the meantime, before God gives those things, if God ever gives you those things, if you're going to turn your back and start throwing tantrums and run away and start doing your own thing, hey, that's, that's a symptom that you were running for yourself the whole way. That's a symptom that you were running for yourself and, and, and not for the glory of God. See, if you're a Christian, and I don't know that everybody in here is, if you're a Christian, the, the thing that should motivate you is to see God's love and his, and his glory go, uh, go beyond all in the entire earth is that God's glory would be known. And sometimes God's way of getting glory from himself for himself are not the same way that you would have drawn it up. Uh, I, I'll, one of these days, I'll tell this story in full. Uh, my wife and I are both widowed, and uh, she lost her late husband about six years ago in a motorcycle accident. I lost my late wife about four years ago to cancer. And, and one of the things, by far, the, one of the things in my life that has impacted me more than any sermon I've read, uh, read or heard, more than any book I've read, more than any uh, lecture by anybody was a way that my late wife endured suffering, was her perspective that, listen, if God heals me, that's great. If he doesn't heal me, I'll go to heaven. But either way, she's living for his glory. Now, sometimes the way that God wants to get glory out of your life is not the way that you would have drawn it up. 
Sometimes, like Jonah, God will send you to a place and you'll end up looking like a fool. But if this is the way that God wants his name to be known, so be it. And my hope and prayer is that for all of you, no matter what your situation is right now, that you would entrust your soul, you would entrust your situation to a faithful creator who is faithful to us. That you wouldn't be living for yourself for immediate gratification of your things being met, and we'd be living for God. Now, one of the second symptoms uh, of living in the kingdom of self is where comfort becomes our ultimate goal. Right? The second symptom of, of you living in the kingdom of self, the second symptom of you living a life for yourself and not the kingdom of God is when comfort becomes your ultimate goal. Right? Now, everybody likes to be comfortable. I like being comfortable. Uh, that's why we have ACs in this room right now because I don't want to be you know, up here with a preacher rag wiping sweat off my head. Right? Incidentally, I stole, don't judge me, right? I stole my son's microfiber washcloth because it doesn't leave lint. It's really good. So we might not want to use this to wash him anymore, but it works really well, actually. But hey, but one of the, one of the ultimate, the second symptoms of living a life for yourself is when comfort becomes a thing that determines all your decisions. Hey, what's your decision-making process for how you determine where you should live, uh, what you should get involved in, how you should spend your time, who you should be spending your time with? See, what if, what if we called you here at Renaissance to do something that's going to require you to wake up a little bit earlier on a Saturday morning, and you were like, oh, but I got plans Friday night, and, you know, or to give money. But listen, the, the iPhone comes out in September, and the way my bank account is set up, I can only do one or the other, right? And I need the new iPhone, so I have to do that. Hey, when comfort, when, when ourselves become the number one goal, the ultimate goal, hey, that's a symptom that we're living in the kingdom of self. And here's what we see in Jonah. Uh, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about that plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Right, so the drama queen strikes again, right? So jo Jonah here, we, we see his motives, right? When... when when there was a nice, shady, leafy plant right on top of his head, perfectly situated, it says he was very happy. But the second that comfort was taken away from him, he throws another tantrum. Now, especially in this day and age in, in America, you know, we are the ultimate people of first world problems, right? Uh, Louis C.K. did a skit on Conan O'Brien's show a couple years ago called Everything's Amazing and Nobody's Happy. He talked about a guy on a plane, and, there were, he was, and the guy was on a plane, and he was like loading up, you know, YouTube videos on, on, online, and then like the, the flight attendant came over the radio and says, hey, we're having some difficulties with the, with the internet, it'll be back up in a little bit, and the guy turns and looks at him like, oh, I can't believe this. He's like, yeah, we're flying in the air, we're going 500 miles an hour, like, it's a miracle that we are sitting in a chair, going, we're, we're defying gravity, and we're flying through the air, and you're mad because your Wi-Fi is, is too slow. Like, seriously? Everything is amazing, and nobody's happy. A bad day for us is when we have to wait on a subway platform too long, and listen, yo, the C train took forever. Yo, 
and the C train took forever, the B wasn't running on the weekends, and this, this, and this, and this, and this, this is, everything gets overblown. And listen, we complain about all of these things, and they impact us so deeply, and we live in these first world problems so much, because sometimes comfort is our number one goal. And when comfort is taken away from us, we'll see it. But, but here's, here's the thing that God was trying to show Jonah, and I, and I think God wants to show us today, that God's work in your life to see you grow to be a mature follower of Jesus is in direct opposition to comfort. God's will for your life is, in, is for you to grow to become a mature follower, uh, f- follower of Jesus Christ. That is it. And that will not happen while you're comfortable. We'll take a page out of the book of exercise, right? If you spend your entire life sitting on a couch, eating crunch and munch, you will not have the body that you want. But work, working out and exercise is, by nature, opposition, right? Exercise is basically causing your muscles to be in a position where they're failing and to work at a pace that they could not uh, maintain. And by putting them, putting your muscles, putting your body in a situation that is uh, in opposition to it, by causing it to work harder than, it's actually, uh, than it actually is, that act right there causes your muscles to grow. That act of opposition causes your body to be more fit. That if you're sitting in a mirror doing bicep curls, right, your biceps are getting weaker and weaker and weaker every rep you do. But by becoming weaker, they're actually becoming stronger. By becoming weaker, they're becoming stronger. And sometimes God puts us in positions where we have to become weaker, where we are challenged, where our commitment is challenged, where our patience is tested, where our virtue is is put in question, and God puts us in situations where we have to work against opposition, where it's not comfortable, but this is the only way you're going to grow. This is the only way. There's no other way around it is this. And one of the the most dangerous symptoms about being uh, that we see here in Jonah is living a life and desiring a life where comfort is our number one goal. And listen, if that's our number one goal, we'll never grow. We'll never grow to be the people that God wants us to be. Now, the the third symptom of uh, living for ourselves in the kingdom of self is that we miss out on God's mission. We miss out on God's mission. Jonah 4 and 9 says, But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Three times, three strikes, you're out, Jonah. But the Lord says, You have been concerned about this plant, and you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern over the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their left hand from their right. And so many animals. See, God ends this book with a rhetorical question. And to be perfectly honest, we don't even know what happens to Jonah going forward. But here's my hope for Jonah is that he finally got it. My hope for Jonah is that he finally got it. And he got to see uh, how crazy he was in missing out on a mission for over 120,000 people. And you're worried about a plant. Bro, seriously, like, you're worried about a plant and there's 120,000 people. Hey, Renaissance, my, my fear for us is that we would miss out on the mission of God in Harlem because we're worried about things that didn't make us comfortable or, you know, or, or whatever. One of the things I love about a diverse church is that we are automatically calling people to let go of some of the things that make you comfortable because not every song will be exactly like you wanted it. If they would have just done this note just like like this, and if she would have sang that Sunday, I would have liked it better than if he sang. Or, I, you know, I don't like being around all of these people because I don't know them. I don't know if they get my jokes or how they feel about me. Listen, the mission that God wants to do to bring a family together oftentimes run in direct opposition to our comfort. 
It often runs in direct opposition to the things that make us feel good and tingly on the inside. And listen, we miss out on the mission getting caught up in small things. You know, right now in Harlem, there's, there are girls being sex trafficked. Right now, in this city, in this neighborhood. Right now, there are, there are teen moms that just got beat up by, the, by their child's father yesterday. Right now, there are hundreds of thousands of people living in spiritual darkness. Right now, there are teenagers that are on the fast track to prison because they're failing out of school and there's no mentors to follow them. Right now, there are people, there are kids that are, that are fatherless, that they just desperately need somebody to invest in their lives. And we're worried about what, we got, what we're going to eat for brunch today. Listen, do not miss out on the mission of God being caught up in yourself. Don't miss out on the mission of God being caught up in yourself and what's going to make you happy and comfortable because God wants to bring renewal to Harlem and he wants to use us to do it. See, throughout the, the entire history of Scripture, you see God calling reluctant and unqualified people to do amazing things for him, right? From the beginning of Scripture all the way through the very end, you see God calling people uh, well out of their comfort zones to contribute to seeing the kingdom built. From Abraham, hey, Abraham, you comfortable living here? He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable. Good, leave and go to a place I don't know where, you, where you don't know where you're going. Hey, Moses, go and talk to Pharaoh and tell him to let your people go. Like, oh, bro, I don't even speak well. Right? My translation of the Bible, people call God bro. Is that cool? <laughs> hey, bro, I don't, even, I don't even know how to speak. Hey, Joshua, Moses is dead. Your turn. Whoa, 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 whoa. Dude, I haven't even, I don't even I'm not a leader. I, haven't, I don't have any good leadership qualities. Why are you calling me to do it? All the way through the life of the apostles who were beaten uh, uh, and many arrested and killed for the, for the sake of sharing the gospel with people. Listen, the scripture is complete from beginning to end of God calling people well out of their comfort zones to get involved in his mission. And listen, you and I have to be the type of people that have the resolve to get out of our comfort zones to live for something bigger than ourselves. See, John Stephen Aquari was able to run when his leg was aching because he was a man on a mission. And my hope for you, my hope for all of us is that we would be people that had the type of resolve to wake up a little bit earlier, to, to financially sacrifice of ourselves so that we can see this neighborhood, we can see this community renewed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the last thing I want you guys to, to be thinking, I don't want you to walk away today thinking to yourself, man, I really need to do a better job. I'm terrible. Man, I don't get this whole thing. Like, I don't know that God can never use me. Uh, man, I'm just, I'm just a mess up. Maybe somebody else, right? And that's the last thing I want you guys to walk away thinking because that type of motivation is bringing you more back to the kingdom of self. That's relying on you to do God's work. Philippians 1 and 6 says this, that being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. Uh, and I, I want to end on the scripture that we started on, one of the scriptures that we started on from Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It tells us how we should run our race. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here's the part that I want you guys to get. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising a shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hey, what's going to make you live in the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of self is you spending time fixing your eyes on Jesus, not on yourself. 
not on the areas that you lack, but fixing your eyes on Jesus. And how do we do that? Some of that is just by coming to church and making it a priority to reorganize your week, to spend some time reflecting about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ for your life. It means spending intentional time reflecting on what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Because by focusing on that, by focusing on what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, listen, the, the motivations for being selfish for thinking that you're not going to have enough on your own unless you, unless you keep all your money to yourself, you'll be thinking about a God that, died, that went to the cross and died for you. And that since he would give his own son, Jesus Christ, will he not graciously, along with him, give you all things? You don't have to be worried about taking care of yourself. That this God who gave you Jesus Christ, listen, I gave you Jesus. I will graciously, along with him, give you everything you need. So you don't have to be worried. So to fix our eyes on Jesus, to stay in the mission now, one thing that we do here at Renaissance is that we, we love to partner with organizations that we feel are doing amazing things in this community, things that are valuable, things that need to happen, and things that need to happen, we need to see more of. And one of those organizations is an organization called Young Lives. Uh, Young Lives is an organization for teen moms. Check out their video. <laughs> I was 15 when I first got pregnant. I thought it was gonna be like me, my boyfriend, we have our baby now, we're gonna be together forever. And then after a few months, I realized that none of that was gonna come true. When I got pregnant, I was a sophomore. I thought my life was over. As a kid, I moved around a lot, but then I hit high school. Not thinking of my actions, I got pregnant. That's when I had a reality check. Teen pregnancy crosses all boundaries. It's in all of our communities, it's in all of our neighborhoods. Teen moms are probably some of the most isolated and overlooked people in our society. Their greatest need is having someone that loves them and values them. I needed help, someone to guide me and tell me not to give up because I was pregnant. And then I found Young Lives. Young Lives is Young Lives Ministry to Teen Moms. We get to be the voice that reminds them that they have value and that their children have value. We love teen moms. We want to establish a relationship with them. We want to make a difference in their lives as they are mentored by a, another woman who really loves on them as well. Mentoring really is the heartbeat of young lives. I care so much about these teen moms and I cannot go a day without being around them because every day I see a miracle. Tiffany definitely gave me a lot of hope. She shows me what I'm worth. She just makes me feel good about myself. As the mentors build relationships with teen moms, then they invite them to Young Lives Club. For that hour, they can have fun, they can sing, they can learn, and somebody's taking care of their baby. I felt accepted. I felt it was okay that I was gonna be okay, that this man, Jesus, he loves me. That. Jesus loved me no matter what, no matter my past, no matter what I was doing. I feel good when I'm out the house and I'm with other mothers. It feels good, like, okay, good, I'm not the only one with the baby. I'm not the only one going through this. We have the opportunity to take girls to Young Lives Camp, a traditional camp that high school kids would go to. We turn it into a week for teen moms and their babies. 
to come to a beautiful camp and hear the truth about Jesus and his love for them and also experience adventure and build new relationships. I made a decision to follow Christ when I went to camp. I think it was the right decision because I want to have a good relationship with God and for my son to have one too. I told God, you know what God, I need you in my life. I need you in my daughter's life. Since I've accepted God into my life, my heart is at peace. Life isn't easier, but I'm not alone. When a girl understands just how much Jesus loves her and her baby, it is an indescribable feeling of joy. All that they've heard from their family, from their baby's father, from their friends about being worthless and being a mistake, when they know that that is not true and that there's a God who loves them and who cares for them and their child, it's cause for great celebration. I didn't have any hope for the future, really. I didn't feel like I wanted to do anything with my life. But now, I was on honorable last year, and I was never on honorable before. So I really feel like God gave me them to push me forward. They came and helped me a lot, made me realize that there's still hope. I told my daughter, Amaya, look, Amaya, this is our new life. No more the struggle, no more anger. It's gonna be me and you and God, and we're gonna make it through.